Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. Here's a five-star review we received on Apple Podcasts. It says, saved my sanity. I wouldn't be sane right now if it wasn't for Anne and her podcast. Divorcing an abusive narcissist is my ticket to safety and peace. Thank you, Anne, for helping me understand I cannot, quote unquote, save him. Thank you for giving the podcast five stars and also leaving your comments. Every single one of your comments helps isolated women find us. We're continuing the conversation with Anne Basham today. If you did not hear last week's episode, go back there, listen to that first, and then join us here. Let's get right into the conversation. We've talked a little bit about who traffickers target. You're saying these are women or girls and boys sometimes who you would not expect, who are coming from affluent families or other situations you don't typically think of for a trafficking victim. So let's talk more about that. Who do traffickers target and what are the misconceptions? Technically, anyone could become a victim of human trafficking, but they do generally target certain ages. So like I said, in age 11 to 15, which is shockingly young, is really the prime target for most human trafficking victims, but it can range all the way up to age 25, really. The second thing is girls are targeted more than boys. Boys are targeted too, absolutely, but it is mostly girls. One of the other factors is there's some perceived vulnerability, either some form of social isolation or some perceived form of weakness. Like I said, it doesn't mean that doesn't happen across the board. One of the biggest misconceptions I can tell you is that people think this can't happen to my kid. And I say it over and over. Yes, it absolutely can happen to your child. It absolutely can. So when I talk perceived forms of weakness, that can be even a positive at times. Perceived forms of weakness could be someone who is just extra compassionate. I actually was interviewing a woman who had interviewed a pimp. And she said that when she interviewed him, he said that the thing that they looked for is they would be in a group of girls and the one who looked down at the ground when they answered, that was the one that they picked as their victim because she looked down at the ground. So it could be something as subtle as that, you know, someone who's just not quite as confident around their peers. We've worked with girls like that as well. You know, they're in the schools, they have a great home, but 
gosh, those teen years are really rough and it's hard to be confident and all those things. And so those can even be some of the perceived weaknesses, but someone who really wants a boyfriend, I know that sounds really simple, but someone who just really wants a boyfriend, because often the recruiters come in the package of a boyfriend, you know, so they really want a boyfriend and he comes along and he, you know, sweeps her off her feet. The last thing is really appealing to flattery. One of the biggest ways that girls can be lured in is by the simple phrase, you look like a model. You look so beautiful. You look like a model. Do you want to be a model? And I don't know if your audience wants to watch it, but there's a video that's on Netflix that's called Hot Girls Wanted. It's a documentary on the whole concept of how this happens and how girls get lured away really through grooming and starts with, hey, you know, we want hot girls wanted, you know, we want models and they get lured away. Why do you and your organization, ATI, which is Anti-Trafficking International, why do you focus on the prevention aspect of human trafficking? Almost all funding for human trafficking in the United States goes towards aftercare. So most people don't realize this. We are third in the world in the United States for human trafficking, which is shockingly high. And then of that, most funding and most resources in America are really focused on what happens after someone's recovered. And yet only 1% of human trafficking victims are ever recovered. And my perspective, and I'm sure your audience can attest to this, I've never, ever met a victim who didn't sit there and say to themselves, I wish I'd known fill in the blank. Maybe I could have fill in the blank, you know, because it's not their fault, but they play this guessing game. I wish I hadn't fallen down the hole. You know, I wish I had known to avoid this. And so what our organization does is we focus really heavily on the prevention side. So we really want to stop human trafficking before it starts. So we have a variety of programs, but every single one of them in some way is very, very focused on prevention. And our main programs actually have to do with education. So now you mentioned earlier, but my master's is in education, and I am just a firm, firm believer that education is truly the best form of prevention. Because when we know better, we do better across the board. And we're able to avoid things. For lack of knowledge, people do perish. But with good knowledge, people are able to avoid horrible, horrible things. And so we really focus on the prevention side because Benjamin Franklin said it best, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. For all the resources that are available, I've met these trafficking victims. If you sat across from just one of them eyeball to eyeball, you would want to pour everything you could into making sure that that person never had to go through that in the first place, that they never had to experience any of that or have their little girl dreams just ripped up to shreds. That's interesting you say that. I also have a master's degree in education, so... I feel the same way about reframing pornography use as an abuse issue is my main goal in life to be like, this isn't just an addiction issue where you can be like, oh, okay, honey, I love you. I'm going to support you while you go to 12 step. You have an abuser in your home and you need to act accordingly. This is a serious, serious thing. And can he change? Sure. Will he change? I don't know, but you need to get to safety and wait from a safe distance and know what safety looks like know what you're looking for in order to be safe, not just take his word for it that he stopped using porn or something like that. So I think my goal is to make sure that those young women don't end up marrying these narcissistic abusers in the first place. That is so good. The prevention aspect of this is really important. 
as our listeners are here listening to this and they're thinking, what about my daughter or my son? How can I better safeguard him or her? What would you recommend for how to safeguard children from exploitation or trafficking? Well, the first thing is, as a parent, really just educating yourself a variety of ways. You can go to our website. It's just preventht.org, so preventht.org, and there's a little tab that says Human Trafficking 101. Very simple. You can learn all about human trafficking, but it's really eye-opening. So I will tell you, I spoke to a PTA here locally. I was told behind the scenes that there was one woman, and she basically got on because she was part of the PTA and she wasn't sure she even wanted to get on. She told my friend, she's like, I don't need to hear this. She was more engaged and shocked by the information because she truly didn't think that it could happen to her kid. And my goal just as a parent and, you know, someone who, like I said, has an education background is really to equip parents first and foremost. Number one thing is parents get educated and then pass that information along to your kids. We have a resource on our website, too, that's actually a parenting tool. You can download totally for free, and it really is a guide for you to talk to your kids about this, because I know it's a difficult thing to talk about, but it's really, it's a great door opener to talking about narcissism and all sorts of other things and other qualities that we look for in the people that we date, because that's one of the key things to discuss is what are those qualities that we look for and what are those red flags that we look for in a relationship, too, because the ones that you see in an abusive relationship are going to be very similar to the ones that a trafficker will have. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. Here's a five-star review we received on Amazon. She said, this book is very informative and extremely easy to read. I'm so grateful I found it. The most helpful was simple definitions that give me a voice and help me feel supported when using the terminology. So when you buy the book, Trauma Mama Husband Drama on Amazon, just circle back around to Amazon, leave a five-star rating with a review. It helps isolated women find us. And even if they don't buy the book, it helps them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. All right, now back to our conversation. One of the things that our listeners grapple with is how, quote unquote, bad is my husband, right? Is he a good guy who's able to quit porn? Is our marriage going to be okay? Do I need to file for divorce yesterday? They have all these questions they're trying to navigate. Can you talk really quick about the progression to consuming child sex abuse material? Why anytime someone uses porn, it's serious. It is, absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier, it really is, your brain takes a dopamine hit. That's how it becomes an addiction. And like with any addiction, what it takes to get that initial high is going to change. So if you consistently consume pornography, it probably, it doesn't always start. And I would imagine doesn't usually start with what we call CSAM, child sexual abuse material. It doesn't usually start there. But it progresses there because your brain needs one more hit, one more hit, one more hit. And it absolutely can progress to that in some cases. So women, they're pretty shocked at what's even available on the internet. As I mentioned earlier, the buyers of these trafficking victims are quite often 
men you would not expect. And I do say men, I try to, but 98% of buyers of trafficking victims are men, 98%. So that is the statistic. And I will tell you that much of pornography is non-consensual and the sources for pornography, such as Pornhub, are often videos of rape and they're not love-based and they're very, very young girls. And so if your brain is going to Pornhub and watching video after video of literally young girls, you are training your brain and that's what's happening. And so it becomes the sexual addiction progression into, at times, CSAM, which is child sexual abuse material, you know, and eventually the real thing. Rather than saying an, an escalation of the addiction, I would almost say an escalation of the abuse where your sexual template is that you get a boner, sorry to use that, from abuse. And so your abuse escalates. Absolutely. Yeah, we've heard someone, there's a term child pornography. I don't even like that term. I don't feel like it's pornography. It's sexual abuse material. Like that is what it is. It's not child pornography. That's why we call it CSAM because it really isn't pornography. This is a child. This is sexual abuse material. You know, the nature of pornography used to be, it was completely consensual. You know, we think about Playboy. It was someone who chose as a model to go do that. I might even say, was it? We don't even know back then. What kind of mind games happened with that woman in order for her to do that, right? Sure, absolutely. But I will say it was glamorized in the 90s. Like pornography was really glamorized. I mean, it was shocking. I remember big models bragging about how they were doing this. They were bragging about it. Now, how they got there, I don't know. But, you know, this is nothing like that. This is absolutely nothing like that. These are literal victims who are, like I said, are often even being raped on camera and they're often very, very young, you know? So if you're consuming this sort of material porn hub, that's what you eventually want to act out. Mm -hmm. When you said the victims were really proud, let's say, it kind of reminds me of myself when back in the day, I was so quote unquote proud of my husband who was in recovery for addiction and I would prop him up as like he's in recovery and he's doing so well and I'm so proud of him for overcoming all the, the problems that he's had as a kid and all this stuff right not knowing that I was lying I was being manipulated so I thought that that was true but it wasn't true so I was standing up in front of people talking about my amazing husband who had overcome all these things and he had manipulated me into saying that. So I think it's interesting when you say these women were the centerfold and they were proud of it. We can't really know exactly what took her there to think that that was a good thing. Cause I thought it was a good thing until my whole world started falling apart. I've read three articles lately, one about Selma Hayek, one about Sharon Stone and one about Jennifer Love Hewitt about coercion just in the R rated movies they were in. They were so excited to be this lead in a movie and they showed up on the set. They did not expect a sex scene and they, they were coerced in that moment to do the sex scene by the director and a bunch of men standing around. And all three of them, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sharon Stone, and Selma Hayek say that it was traumatic. They were misled. Words like that, that they were coerced. And so even just with a regular R-rated movie where you think this woman was paid, like she's on this poster, everybody knows that she's in it. They wouldn't think she was coerced into doing the sex scene in those movies. But it's hard. They've been paid. Think about it. You have a contract, you have people standing around, you don't know all the details. And then it's 
someone stands there and says, you need to do X, Y, or Z. And it's very easy to stand on the outside and judge. I hear it all the time. Well, why didn't they just say no? Or why didn't they just don't judge until you have literally walked through this because it is subtle. Yeah. And I mean, that's not even considered porn per se, right? That's just a movie. I'm realizing now there was one more. It was Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones. She too was surprised that she'd need to show her chest or her breasts. And she was upset about it, but she said she didn't have a big enough name and all these people were standing around and they said, well, if you won't do this, we need an actress who will and you lose your job. That's coercion right there. I'm really grateful that women in Hollywood now are starting to talk about this and starting to write articles about it. So we, we know Amelia Clark had this problem because there's an article about it in CNN or whatever, but like more and more women are saying, wait a minute, no, no, no. And also after the fact, when we realize it, wait, my whole marriage was a sham. <laughs> I was groomed from the beginning and he never actually truly cared about me as a person. He was never a partner. He just wanted to use me for sex and other things. Now I know the truth. We're trying to share that with other women so that we can all stay safe, whether it's in Hollywood, whether it's in our own relationships or how we can keep our kids safe, obviously. So we've talked a lot about trafficking, about parenting, about the intersection between pornography and trafficking and how this is all abuse on every front. As you know, all of our listeners are in relationships with men who use pornography or lie to them, manipulation, narcissistic abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, sexual coercion. Oh my word, that's way too many things <laughs> that I just said, but they're all dealing with that in their own homes. So to conclude, can you talk about the signs of human trafficking? Like there might be a listener who is listening who doesn't know she's being trafficked, for example. Or might have a child who's being trafficked and they're not aware. So to conclude, let's just wrap up with what are the signs of human trafficking? Yeah, so some of the signs of human trafficking can be changes in someone's appearance, their grades slipping, some of their physical features. Just to tie it into your listeners especially, you know, I used to work with victims of violence against women as well. Our organization used to be called the Just Ask Prevention Project because it's so important that people just be asked. It started because there was a victim. She had been trafficked for three years. Her grades were slipping. Her appearance had changed. She was in counseling because of it. She was seeing doctors. You know, people were addressing it, but they were addressing all the signs, all the symptoms. And I'm sure your listeners can relate to that. You know, from the outside, things are happening and all that gets addressed is all the symptoms. Well, they don't know what the source of it is, right? So they're in marriage counseling because they think it's a communication problem or they think, oh, I just need a breast implants because my boobs aren't as big as my neighbors or whatever. Exactly. And so all of these signs and symptoms are coming up. Your listeners here at In a Friend or anyone just ask, just ask them, you know, could your husband have a pornography issue? That's a question. You can ask, is there anyone forcing you? Is anyone coercing you? If you have a child specifically or someone who's younger, you can say to them something along the lines of targeted questions that really get at whether or not this is trafficking. Because this girl opened up as soon as she was asked the right questions, but she was never asked the right questions. And I know for so many victims, they will speak up, but they really won't speak up until the right questions are asked. And I know a lot of times, specifically, it's hard to even ask your husband these questions. Because I mean, do we really want to know? Well, but also he'll lie to you. So asking him is not really going to help. 
So if you say, hey, are you filming me and then putting it on the internet for money? And he really is. He's not going to say yes. That's really good. I think that that is the same with abuse, that people don't realize they're being abused. And then when someone asks them some specific questions or helpful questions, then you can kind of help them see it. We can assume that many trafficking victims don't actually realize they're being trafficked and help them by asking questions or maybe by educating them a little bit, which is really hard to do. I realize that it feels like, oh, wait, this is none of my business. Really? Am I really going to ask that person? Are you being forced to have sex? From personal experience, having asked people some very difficult questions like, oh, are you being raped by your husband? It has been amazing how well it has gone. And I know that sounds crazy. And if it doesn't go well, at least you did what you could to help that person. I'm always a fan of people who, out of compassion and care for people, do their best to help. And I think people can see that. And I hope that they can. And if they get mad, they get mad. But at least you tried. That's my opinion. But maybe I'm wrong. Absolutely. No, I agree. And people want to be known. I mean, at the core, we all want to be known. And I've even talked to women who are who lead ministries or their leaders in other capacities. And I've talked to men who are leaders at church. And I think one of the biggest things is to not just address the signs and the symptoms, but to really dive deep and say, have you considered maybe your partner has a pornography issue and going there with that victim? You know, maybe she's thought it, but no one's actually asked her. They've just said to her, hey, why don't you go into counseling or why don't you go to a doctor and take some medication if you've got some anxiety. But she really has a sense something's wrong and she's not really addressing it. She has this strong sense, but she needs the courage of someone else to come there and ask those pointed questions. Because I think at the end of the day, those pointed questions, they give people courage. They really do to really think about things they've probably wondered themselves and never had the courage to go there to think about deeply. Mm-hmm. Or maybe thought, oh, I must just be crazy. My husband's fine. He's nice. We go to church. He always instigates family prayer. I'm just being crazy. I have a friend. That's how she came to realize that there really was abuse in her marriage is it was actually a pastor. And this woman had gone all over speaking and she wasn't hiding what was going on with her husband, but she wasn't speaking about it from a personal perspective. Yeah, she wasn't really speaking. And she told this person behind the scenes, it was this man, I think he was a pastor or something behind the scenes sort of what was going on. And the man said to her, have you considered that this is abuse? And she initially said, oh, no, no, no. But it takes that first person to say, have you considered? Have you considered that this could be abuse? Have you considered that this could be sexual abuse? Have you considered that this could be a form of rape in your marriage? It really takes that person who loves you enough to ask those questions. And I love you, dear listeners, which is why I'm asking these hard questions and asking you to ask these hard questions hoping that we'll all make our way to safety together as a healthy army of women, which is exciting to me. It's exciting that more and more women are becoming educated about these issues and able to teach their children and talk to their friends because that's what's going to get us out of this mess. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, 
click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.